So today we're going to talk about the reforms that are on the table. Like there's a lot of different organizations suggesting a lot of different reforms. Some are more sweeping than others. Some people want to go like real far and like totally overhaul the whole system. I'm more in that camp. And then some people are just saying we need more accountability for individual police officers. Um, I don't think that'll be enough. So just so you know where I'm coming from right at the beginning. But uh, but we want to get into that's what today's episode is going to be about. Zakater and I are just going to kind of walk through a bunch of the different proposals on the table and just talk about them from kind of a progressive perspective and give you, you know, all the right answers as we always do. So you know what to believe. And that's really what's most important is that you just believe whatever we tell you. So right. thank you for listening. We are your um, big but, brother. Yeah. <laughs> that's when we started getting real philosophical. Oh yeah. You don't know the art we're trying to spit out right now. Art, art, art we're trying to spit out right now. And we're here to say, fuck your liberal, huh? Fuck, 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 fuck your liberal, huh? You're upset that we went to Iraq for oil? Well, too bad. Take a look at your ass. You shouldn't be able to see it that easy. How it works, lefties got soft. And we're on. All right, we're recording. And, and uh, oh, well. That's normally Fuck my you. line. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. And welcome back to Super Politics, guys. Dude, we got the fucking pandemic going on. We got police now just like beating up everybody in the streets. Um, th- push that old man under the ground. Like what? Bro, the I literally I'm not even joking. The first time I watched that video of them pushing that old man down, I literally thought it was Joe Biden. What? You thought the guy was Joe Biden? I thought the guy was Joe Biden the first time I saw it. Not even joking. <laughs> no, no. Why? Okay. How did... <laughs> Come on, man. Dude, so... Wow. What did you... Why did you think Joe Biden was there trying to, like, intervene with the police? You know he, know. like, is the guy who gave them all the money to be there. I felt like, right? you know, well, first off, I just saw an old guy, white hair. And they said when they just, said when he was like seventy five, I'm like, yeah, that's 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 Joe Biden. Um, <laughs> but but it, oh you know, it God. sounds like Joe Biden. Like, let me go try to make peace with the other side, and then it doesn't. Yeah, and me. then and then like always, it doesn't work. <laughs> um, yeah, but in all seriousness, for sure, that's a terrible video. I mean, there we're seeing people lose their eyes from these rubber bullets. We're seeing cases of people dying from the pepper spray we're seeing police threaten to run over people uh we're seeing oh, people police- actually no not threaten like police actually running people over right and then like mm-hmm. it within the same week of us all everyone watching the nypd run down a crowd of 30 some people um then we have andrew cuomo on TV or, you know, making his statement about how he can't believe how mean people are being to the NYPD. There's just so there's just so much shit that like I I could not stop laughing when I saw people tweeting about how the fucking astronauts who went off in the middle of all this <laughs> were like fucking <laughs> peace out. <laughs> like oh, like so lucky. some people just left Earth. Yeah, <laughs> they're lucky, man. I uh I would not be mad at that. Get the fuck out of there. Yeah, if they're like, you know what? Now seems like a good time to leave. <laughs> <laughs> it is the best time, bro. I feel like I feel like 
you know, I was uh, <clears throat> talking to my wife. I'm like, we could go to Canada. We could go to UK. <laughs> like there's all these other great countries. And uh, but, you know, I just feel like the tentacles of the American government are everywhere. And there's really no yeah. escape. Like no matter where you go, you're still affected. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, like, you got to think like I, I always think about that. Like, well, if I move. I'm still at risk to be attacked by America in some other country. By an American police officer. Somehow, somehow they'll pull you over like, wait, you don't even work here. Go to your own country. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but like I can say that the one plus side of uh, going to space, um, I mean, there's actually probably a lot like you can float around. That's pretty cool. But like <laughs> definitely important. <laughs> yeah, like I think that they've managed to get by up in the International Space Station and on the moon so far without any any police officers up there. So they yeah. managed to keep keep a pretty much calm, orderly uh, society up there. Yeah, that's right great now. To know. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what else has been in the news, man? Like, that's that's what I got. I mean, obviously, like there, we can go on and on about everything going on with the protests themselves and the First Amendment implications of that. We probably should talk about that a little bit here. But And I know a lot of people want to hear about that because they've been participating in the protests. Maybe some of you listening have been uh, personally, you know, tear gassed or whatever. And I, and I don't want to discount your experience. I do want. But, you know. Decatur and I talked for a very long time, multiple times about the fact that we want to try, at least for right now, to keep the conversation on the actual reform efforts that are being asked for the cause of the protest. I think that's important. That's what we're definitely going to get into in this episode. Guys, every week we tell you we got an episode about the war on drugs coming and it's coming soon, but <laughs> there's just mm -hmm. too much that's been happening in the news yeah. where we just haven't dropped that yet. Yeah, we already recorded it. It's like I, I'm halfway done editing it. You know, it's like we talk about dare and stuff like that. If you all remember dare um, in school and the police officers coming to your classroom and all that shit that was really weird. So classmates and I are writing a report for dare about the harmful effects of drugs. Finish the report? Of course. This whole report was a bunch of junk. No kidding. I don't know anybody who does drugs. <laughs> Dare's Turns out there's a very racist origin and anti-hippie origin, believe it or not, to the whole program, um, all, the, all the whole war on drugs. But uh, it's going to make a really interesting episode. And it's absolutely we're going to touch on it a little bit today, too, but just very briefly. Um, but this is all part of this larger story about discrimination uh, in our criminal justice system. Um, and, uh, and believe it or not, what was really surprising to me is to learn that a lot of the laws that are in place that have led to the discrimination that we're going to talk about today, um, and the need for reform, they're originally put in place by explicit outward racists. Like for example, Richard Nixon, whose staff has come out since saying that the reason for the war on drugs was to target black people and to target hippies. Um, and, and that's just like not even a mystery anymore. That's just a documented fact. <laughs> Get these hippies out of here. <laughs> yeah, and he just said he was just very racist and we you know there's like now in recent news I, I forget exactly when it came out i think it was this year though is that someone uncovered a phone call between nixon and ronald reagan and they were it was reagan. a pretty damn racist yeah Ray, did, you, did you hear about that call oh yeah oh, dude come on you know i keep i gotta keep tabs on ronald <laughs> reagan you know i do that uh yeah ronald reagan using some incredibly uh incredible racial slurs that uh you would be i guess you know if you know anything about the world you wouldn't be surprised that he used but if you know yeah, you're right, a reagan right. fan who wants to deny he's racist 
Um, but I mean, that's this will disappoint you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, I mean, that, that's fucking Reagan. I, I don't know what else to say. He's a fucking, he's a scumbag and Richard Nixon was a scumbag. And furthermore, people don't talk about it enough that, uh, Richard Nixon probably did coke because when you look at his nose, he just has a cocaine nose. You can tell. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he talks like a bear. So, um, <laughs> uh, so I want to. I we're gonna talk a little bit about um everything going on with law enforcement right now, very briefly. Right, like this has been an extremely crazy eye-opening moment for a lot of people. A lot of, a lot of white people I've noticed are changing at least their thoughts on police overstepping their, their boundaries on what they should be allowed to do violently, whether or not they're really fully getting the racist aspect of it. I don't know. It's like, we're now seeing like the police kind of in this like angry defensive mode where they're just like lashing out violently on anyone who's standing on the side of, you know, our black community right now, it's just really terrifying. And I mean, there's so much to say about it and I do want to do a full episode about it, but I just have to tell you that I have so much anxiety about what we're seeing, how we're seeing the government respond to a civil rights protest. Right. And it's not the first time. No, this isn't the fucking first time we've seen this happen in the United States. But, but even just, you know, more and more is coming out and we'll, we'll get into more depth in, in later episodes, but more is coming out about just, I mean, protesting is your right, right? That is your first amendment, right? The protests, obviously we have seen firsthand how unbelievably militarized our police force is. It is not, it's like, I am blown away at the firepower our police force has at the armor, at the equipment. I'm like, look, it's not the first time we've seen this in American history where the police have tried to quell protests specifically, um, protests for uh, civil rights for the black community. Like we've seen the police violently respond to that for decades and decades and decades. Right. 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 Um, That said, I think it's really the first time a lot of us are experiencing it in our own lives. Um, it's in the, to the, uh, level that we're seeing it now. It's just really shocking. And it's also happening in a time where everyone has a fucking cell phone and everything's being recorded. So we've all seen that's a, that's a really important point because I mean, we saw that a little during the, the Ferguson protests, but you know, law enforcement hadn't really caught up to technology yet with, with, with the protesters. So what we're seeing now is law enforcement now knows not only how to work on the same level of, of, you know, protesters with social media and the internet, but now they have more capabilities with surveillance. Now the DEA is getting involved, uh, thanks to the Trump administration. Now the DEA can get involved with surveillance and just a lot of different things that we've never seen, a lot of different tactics. It's a police state. This is no different than China. It's terrifying. You said something to me earlier today when we were on the phone about how some people are defining what uh, fascism or a police state is. Yeah, yeah. I was was listening to... um, to the Antifada with uh, with with Jamie Peck. It's a great podcast, but she she gets in depth talking about how you know the philosophers have a tough time kind of debating what fascism actually is, and you know this is actually, I mean, there's never been a a fully proper definition. I guess it, it's it's kind of murky, and and Mussolini, of course, was kind of like the the 
best example we had of it. And he, I believe, claimed that he invented the word, even though that's clearly not true. But, you know, he's a piece <laughs> of shit. Uh, anyhow, uh, getting off topic, but... But she That's was talking about like how, how, uh, how, how philosophers argue that possibly fascism is when you're an imperial, imperialistic country and what you would do to other countries and invade other countries, when you start using those same tactics at home, that, you know, that's the start of a fascist regime. Right. So if imperialist Britain back when they were dominating the whole world was treating their own citizens that way, now it's not just an imperial nation, it's a fascist nation. Is right. kind of the just repeating exactly what you just said and taking full credit for it myself. So yeah, no, do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're a so, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not anti-fascist. Can't be that, or you're a terrorist now. So, uh, I mean, Jesus that's, Christ, man. That's something. That's terrifying, and and that is going to be a huge point of conversation in the episode where we really break into this in a big way. And I have to tell you, the whole conversation gives me a ton of anxiety and I really want to bone up on research for that one. It gives me um, just up, talking about it, bro. Like just like even now. Yeah. And, uh, and I said bone up and, and now I'm just thinking about a, a, a penis. So yeah. now I can't even think about what we were talking about. So anyway, um, what, what like really struck me as fascinating when you said that about like when we're talking about using, tactics you would use if you were occupying another country using those same tactics on your own country. What's fascinating to that is I've just been listening to that blowback podcast about the Iraq war. One of the things that I learned is that when there were uprisings in Iraq, after we started our occupation over there, after we basically absolutely dominated them, there'd be little, you know, they would call them insurrections or whatever, or resistance fighters, whatever you want to call them over in Iraq that were fighting against us forces. And you might even remember this where the media was talking about like all these and the military was talking about all these like outside agitators basically like people coming in from other countries or whatever or from other organizations that are like coming in to fight the american troops and like they were trying to kind of deny that this was local iraqis who were fighting against the united states because that would hurt their narrative that we had gone in to liberate Iraq and that they were happy. And then, you know, since we've learned that was BS and that actually was local Iraqis who were upset. But what's so fascinating, getting back to our point about the protests going on now is didn't didn't you guys all just hear over the weekend that exact same fucking narrative about the people who are looting and rioting? You know, I'm using the words of the media right now is that there were outside agitators coming in and trying to like cause these problems. And it's not actually any of the Black Lives Matter protesters that are, none of them are angry enough to loot and protest, uh, to loot and riot and start fires. Like, no, like that must be outside people just trying to cause trouble um, because it would hurt the narrative, I think, of the government to know that people are so mad that they're burning shit down. Yeah. You know? It's, uh, it's, 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 I mean, it, it's just fucking mind blowing. Just kind of going back to how you were talking about, you know, Iraq. Um, I think it's really interesting too, you know, it was just what we did to Iraq and Afghanistan and all those sort of things with, uh, you know, Blackwater, you know, which is essentially just a private military company, right? Right. 
And uh, just what we're seeing over the weekend of, of in D.C., we're seeing unbadged, unnumbered military essentially show up in these in these streets in a uniform that no one recognizes. There's no badge. There's no patch. There's no name. And people yeah. are, are wondering, is this bars Blackwater? We, we don't even know. And when asked who who they're with, they just say the Department of Justice. Well, the Department of Justice doesn't have a fucking paramilitary. So right. I, I don't know what the fuck. No, we're still trying to figure out. And that, that's just up in the air. So, that's terrifying I mean, to me that there's which, unmarked yeah. troops on the street with 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 guns just just ready to go and what are they protecting they're just you know monuments things like that and but that's the scary thing is this is these are tactics that we've seen you know used overseas and now they are doing it here and if one of these people shoots one of these protesters how how are they accountable we don't even know who they are we don't even know who they are. You know who else did this exact same fucking trick um, in a foreign mm. occupation was fucking Putin with the, uh, you know, the whole um, Crimean Peninsula invasion. You remember that? Yeah. I, yeah, I don't remember know about, how. Well, I, like, I know I remember the the uh, the Crimean Peninsula. But what, what was the private military he used? He used his own military in unmarked uniforms and they would <sighs> if, they would vehemently deny that they were Russian. Oh, I do remember that now. You're yeah. right. Can and you believe it? They it's were like just, these same they were just tactics. separatists, he said. He kept saying they're separatists, that they just, yeah, you know, yes, they're sympathetic because, to Russia. Uh-huh. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Trying to create this false narrative. But like, it's just like really similar tactics of like trying to confuse people about like who, who's who, you know, right. to, to fit whatever the fuck narrative their God knows what their propaganda, you know, machine is up to their ministry of truth. Um, it would be called in the book 1984. It's propaganda is my only point. And, um, and whatever they have some propaganda agenda and it's very terrifying whenever you see unmarked troops, you know, who aren't telling anyone who they are. Uh, it's extremely terrifying from a democratic perspective. And I mean that in the term of democracy, if you want a well-functioning democracy, you need to know who the fucking guys on the streets with guns are. You know, like, who the fuck are they? And that's super important. So we see like these really terrifying signs of something going really south. And by south, I mean uh, a police state really ramping up. I saw someone and I I wish I could give them credit because I can't remember off the top of my head. Fuck them. Who cares? They don't get credit. But it was really uh, a really good point. I saw on Twitter someone saying like, hey, all you conservatives out there who are uh, clutching to your guns waiting for a fascist uh, government, you know, moment to happen where are you at now you know like (laughs) look around i have lost a lot of respect for a lot of libertarians who do have not had any problem with anything recently going on this is Mm -hmm. literally like big government right and this is what what they're supposed to hate this is everything that so many tea partiers and all those people were terrified of Obama overstepping and he was going to make a, you know, a police state. Listen, I won't say that, you know, Trump's gone martial law yet by any means, but as far as a police state, yeah, he's, he's, yeah. he's helping well, here's right the, now. Here's the thing is like, 
you don't need to declare martial law to do whatever the fuck he wants. Like the thing is now it's like, it wouldn't be good from a propaganda standpoint to declare martial law explicitly right. because everyone is familiar, at least with the concept of martial law, which is like once that martial law is declared, then all sorts of civil liberties go out the window. Well, guess what? Everybody, our civil liberties are fucked already. So you want, you, he doesn't need to fucking declare martial law because they, all they have to do is call you a terrorist or, you know, just fucking, ignore or just suspend the writ of habeas corpus or whatever you know all these things we've been seeing in the news recently there's so many ways for them to fucking blow off your civil liberties and then by the time you get a judge to figure out whether it was a violation of the rule then the whole thing is over with anyway you know so when we talk about is trump going to declare martial law i'm not waiting for him to admit what he's doing he's just going to mm. do whatever he wants and so what we're looking at right now is a situation where if he wanted to and we're already seeing him start to get away with a lot of violations of civil liberties without having to formally declare under law that I'm not going to do not going to respect civil liberties right now. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's all very scary times if we're talking about totalitarianism and we're talking about a police state and we're talking about a government that just kind of rules with an iron fist. Right. And so we're seeing that kind of stuff right now. And people I think are including myself. I thought we might've been in a state that was like, maybe pre-fascist, but in the end, in the history books, it's going to show that we prevented kind of a totalitarian fascist, um, you know, takeover of our government by, you know, like, like we'll never see, like I always thought like, we'll never see what happened in Germany happen here. Right. Like that was something that I felt confident, like the world has learned. We were shocked by what happened in Germany and Italy and we'll never really see that again. And like, I think, I'm losing faith that that's not going to happen. Yeah, you, honestly. you should, because honestly, look at the entire world. Look at India with Modi. Look at Britain with Boris Johnson. Look at Brazil with Bolsonaro and look at here with Trump. Like this is this is just I think this is how the pendulum swings. And we are in the moment of extreme authoritarian people. want Nationalism. Nationalism. And don't get me wrong. I mean, nationalism has done great things for certain countries. But the problem is if you tote that line with authoritarian, with a nationalist, you're going to get a racist fucking <laughs> like fascist. So, yep. I mean, that's that's where it gets real dangerous. And that's where we're at in a society and globally around the world. So if you're thinking about moving, you're fucked in a lot of countries, my friends. So I think the best thing yeah. to do is go to your local liquor store, load up on it. <laughs> Uh, get some shroom and just be ready for when it all burns and you can have one last one. Uh, all right, guys. So here's what we want to do. We might have mentioned this already, but basically... Buy some shrooms. <laughs> buy some shrooms. And uh, <laughs> just start getting high all the time. Basically, what we're going to do now is we're going to talk a little bit about kind of how we got to this point in our history. Um, in no way whatsoever is this very brief overview going to even touch on some of the most important points of uh, especially uh, black history, um, you know, and the, their fight for civil rights in the United States. There's so much that we're going to we're going to skip right past because I really want to address some of the things that come to mind when I think of like conversations that you might end up having with your libertarian or conservative friends or if you are libertarian or conservative listening, you know, just like some of the major points that like come to my mind as far as like why you might not 100% understand what 
the black community is protesting about, like what got them to this point of protesting. Um, that's going to actually be the entire topic of next week, because I think that's extremely important now to talk about how we got here. But um, after I just do a quick overview of that right now, we're going to jump into what the reform proposals are. So something that comes to mind when we think about like, well, what obviously everyone is aware at the most basic level, if you know nothing else, you're protesting about the death of George Floyd. That's obvious. Right. But why would that cause nationwide uh, protests? And what was it like 140 or 180 cities? Was it like, I don't, yeah. I don't remember. I know it was all 50 states, including Alaska, which, you know, all 50 states, even the Alaskans, even them, they don't do decided anything. To, <laughs> they, don't, they collect their universal basic income yeah. and they just don't even bother anybody, but they were out there protesting too. And, uh, and that's really incredible. And not to mention, and I've, I don't know the exact number of other countries, but people were protesting outside of U.S. embassies, like we, like Decatur mentioned in the last episode, in many countries out, around the world. You know, people are seeing this. So, like, obviously, this is not just about George Floyd. Uh, there's more going on here. And, of course, we're talking about an entire community who has felt like this has been going on for a really long time and that black people. Uh, people are killed disproportionately to white people when they encounter law enforcement. But it's it's not just that, right? And so there's actually a lot more going on here. I'm not going to throw st a lot of stats at you, um, but I am going to throw some at you with with a caveat um, about, about racial disparity in our criminal justice system. Here's my caveat. There's a very interesting study and report that was done that talks about racial disparity in the criminal justice system. Very short report. It's like five or six pages. And it's kind of bleak. And basically what it lays out is that when white people are presented with statistics about racial disparity in our criminal justice system. For example, the fact that uh, African-Americans are 5.1% more likely to end up being incarcerated at some point in their life uh, than, uh, than a white American, or when uh, during their lifetime, one in three black males can expect to be imprisoned compared to only one in 17 white males, right? right? So when people say, when they talk about like, Black people are genuinely afraid of law enforcement. Like this is what we're talking about, right? And so obviously that's not all black people and we have black people in law enforcement, but this is just what we're talking about when we're talking about this general feeling of a community that like law enforcement is not trying to help black people there, you know, even though they might think that they are, the way the institution is used is used in a racially discriminatory way. But the problem is the caveat that I have for all of this, that this report has is when white people are shown these kinds of statistics, it actually has for a lot of people on the whole, a really horrible effect. It actually tends to make you believe in tough on crime policies more as a white person, which says something terrible about white people in our community. And in that is going to hate. I mean, seriously, right? Like that was actually genuinely depressing to me. And when I just shared this report with Decatur before we started recording this episode, I could tell it was really bumming him out too. Obviously, that's bad news. That means that there is really deeply embedded implicit bias in white people, especially when it has to come with our ideas about uh, black people and their uh, involvement in either crime or the criminal justice system, right? So like some concrete examples is that when, so they, they did, they did many controlled studies to figure this out. And one of them, for example, was that when they would present a petition to white people saying, Hey, would you sign this petition to help try to change 
California's really, really harsh three strikes law, which can put people behind bars, you know, for life or whatever, uh, just for committing like a series of very low level offenses. And, and, and most people, especially people like me who practice in criminal defense, think it's like extremely unjust and immoral that that law ever existed and still exists in a lot of places. And, um, when presented with a petition like that, a decent number of people would be like, yeah, sure, I'll sign it. But when those when other groups of white people are shown that petition, but then they're also at the same time told about how many more black people are in prison than white people uh, proportionate to our population, it, it actually scares them out of signing the petition. And it makes less people likely to sign the petition. I think that just shows you the the, the disconnect and, and just kind of like, you know, people talk about like the white privilege of like you don't have to deal with like racism and all, all these sort of things like you don't deal with it like firsthand. But I think a, a big aspect of like just the, the luck of being white is just like you don't have to even think about other people having to deal with it at all. Right. And absolutely. So like they just come from this place where they, they get to be totally arrogant about it. And they say, well, you know, you think of all the little maybe misdemeanors you've done here and there in your life, whether it's just, you know, like trespassing, skateboarding, you shouldn't skate, you know, things yeah. like that. And you're like, well, I never got in trouble for that. So why would they get in trouble for that? They must be doing heinous things if they're getting in trouble, not realizing that their neighborhoods are policed more. They deal with more undercover crackdowns. You know, there's there's different funding for those sort of things to go after the black community. Obviously, the history of racism in this right. country is insane. Yeah. And so that's actually the point of why we want to start this up episode off at this discussion is because what this report suggested, they had many suggestions on what to do about the fact that it actually has a perverse effect on a lot of people to show them these statistics. Because if you're a progressive, if you're politically oriented as a progressive, you already have an open mind to the idea that you you basically reject the personal responsibility kind of political talking point that you hear on the right, right? Like you already believe you already understand that a lot of communities start off in a disadvantageous position. And so you already understand that if someone is more likely to interact with law enforcement, it's probably not something inherent in their fucking race that made that happen. It's probably not be their fucking fault, right? That their community is disproportionately policed. But the perverse thing that we see is that a lot of people their only understanding of the criminal justice system is what Dick Wolf has taught them through fucking law and order. And let me tell you all, <laughs> I know that that's an entertaining show, but as a criminal defense attorney, I want to throw my TV out the fucking window every time that goddamn show comes on because all I see the whole fucking time as a criminal defense attorney is there's a constitutional violation there's another one there's another fucking thing they did wrong and here's a bunch of people who decided early on who they think is guilty and then they're just chasing them down and throwing the constitution out the window the whole time and guess what and the show will say they're right because the fucking writers of the show can decide whoever the fuck is guilty that they want to. But in real life, when cops <laughs> act like that, the wrong people are put behind bars all the time. Right. And, and, and it disproportionately affects people of color and people from poor and people in poverty who don't have the resources to defend themselves against that kind of bullshit. So I get real fucking heated about law and order. But most people, that's the only way they fucking know about the criminal justice system. So they have this real fucking 
you know, weird idea about how the world works. It's like the idea that there's a bunch of fucking heroes in the, in the prosecutor's office and in the police department that are out there just trying to save the goddamn world. And really they're just trying to do their jobs like everybody else. And they have biases like everybody else. And they're just trying to get home by five, like everybody else, because guess what? They're just human beings trying to get by at work. And even though they might have to have lofty reasons for why they think they went into the job or that they might tell themselves when they're trying to go to sleep at night, they're cutting a lot of corners because they're humans. And, and that's just how the fucking world works, guys. Let me tell you right now. All right. So there's my little soapbox, but you know, and then they see the show cops, right? Which is like, Oh no, I don't just watch law and order, which is fiction. I watch cops, but it's like, well, cops is just reinforcing the bad narrative that I told you about when like some of these people watch, hear these statistics, right? Definitely. And I I think, I think all this me, I mean, like look at what the HLN, you know, like that fucking whole network is, is predicated on. It's just like talking about the most heinous crimes and like half the time they don't even fucking got the right person. And then they like fetishize like the, the rich white people when they do a crimes, it's like, it's like a whole fucking, like beautiful biography on these people. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's like, Oh, how could they do that? We would never expect that. Like they're just reinforcing stereotypes, which is dangerous. What just blows my mind is that the same thing happens just by reading statistics to people about how much more the criminal justice system is fucking over black people. All of this is to say there is a solution to this and that's to provide context for why we see these really fucked up numbers. Right. And I, I mean, again, I could, I could pull up that report again and give you a bunch of more really scary numbers that you see. But the point is, is like when you're looking at the statistics for our black community, their numbers aren't looking good as far as how the criminal justice system interacts with them, right? Or I will say treats them. I do want to talk about how this has happened and why we are where we are. And I can't even possibly begin to do it justice in the few minutes that I'm going to talk about it here. And I'm just going to touch on some and and probably not even the most important points. Yeah, let's break down a few of these things here. So like, let's kind of talk about the foundation of it. Yeah, okay. All right. So most obviously, and I'm not going to dwell on this, but everyone knows, and a lot of conservatives will roll their eyes at this point, which is ridiculous, but we actually do have to start with slavery, right? 400 years ago, black people were brought to this country against their will to be fucking slaves. They built this country and they were not paid for it. And then when we finally abolished slavery after a bloody civil war, so then we get into the Jim Crow laws. And then we basically look at this long story of how we basically transitioned from straight up slavery to slavery by another name, like, right? Like by making people work, um, now just labeling them as criminals, right? Instead of, uh, you know, finding laws that they can then easily criminalize someone who's black, that they can kind of racially enforce enforce in a racially discriminatory way to then put black people back in the field. And even though they weren't slaves, now they're like convict labor, you know, and it's like slavery right. by another name. Yeah. So how did, how did that like the whole like policing start? Like, like, like for people just to give a quick overview here, just to give a really very basic level, um, you know, but, but some people would credit the first actual law enforcement agent in the United States was started in South Carolina as an organization that really was there to enforce social control against black people. And what, what Steve's referring to are the slave patrols that, uh, are, yeah, it's really dark history, and they were actually legally allowed not only to to beat them, but they were strongly encouraged to do such. And you could get a ticket even in some areas for not doing so. So right. really, really dark shit. And actually, when people always talk about this was only a southern issue, New England did this too. I want to point out with indigenous groups, and they weren't called slave patrols; wow. they were just called constables. So yeah, so that's really fucked up, right? So now we're getting to this idea that a lot of people might argue, like, okay, yeah, we don't have like outright slave patrols but in a way like a lot of what we see is like this over policing of black neighborhoods and just like 
looking for a reason, like you look in New York with the stop and frisk laws, looking for a reason to, you know, stop black people kind of at random just to check and, and, and arresting people. This statistics show from the stop and frisk program was extremely racist, right? That's not even really debated anymore. And so like you talk about how we no longer have the slave patrols, but like there's in a lot of ways they're, they're still treating black people the same, right? In a lot of Definitely. ways, right? They're, they're more crafty about what they call it and what they say about it, about what they say their purpose is, right? And they, Sure, they can't be as blunt about it, obviously, in modern times. But the, the greater point is, is that the law enforcement as an institution is being used still to control our black community in a racially discriminatory way. Definitely. I don't know who is consciously involved in that effort. Like, you know, I know who where uh, some people we can point to as the original racist who started it. Right. And we're kind of going back to the origins of that. Like Richard Nixon is a big one. Well, well also, I mean, too, as we talk about like white supremacy within, you know, law enforcement, I mean, there was a report from 2006 that the FBI warned of, of white supremacists and, and the KKK specifically infiltrating into the uh, Absolutely. Police departments. And, you know, they fired some of them, but of, of course there's where, you know, they're, they haven't caught them all. I mean, we've actually even seen photos from these rallies going on recently of uh, there's, a, 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 I think, three now police where you can see tattoos that they have, uh, including one on the Philly department where they have like the Aryan Brotherhood tattoo or neo-Nazi tattoo on them. So it's like they're clearly they're part of these groups. And, and right. why are they allowed to be in, enforcing the law on every race? When you think about what it means for an outright white supremacist to actually be hired on the police force and to do a whole career in the police force, like just think about that logically and practically for a second. He's literally in the locker room with all these guys all the time. He's out on patrol. He has his partners. He meets up. They're friends. They're barbecuing together. Like, you think that he's being, like, PC at his buddy's barbecue? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this right. has, like, having one white supremacist infiltrate the department, he might not be outright explicitly recruiting other white supremacists to be like, hey, you should come to this KKK uh, brunch that we're having. But, you know, he might right. be. It's, it's actually quite the opposite. It's, you know, it's not like they're using it. They're not using the police to recruit KKK members. They're doing the, the exact opposite where they're recruiting KKK members to get them into the police. Force. Get them you into the police. Mean? So they can then try to make their views more mainstream within the, you know, the, well, within law enforcement, within the organization that has the actual physical power to socially control, right? right. So it's like, and I'm not just saying this is the whole problem is we have white supremacists infiltrating the law enforcement. That is a big problem, but it's just part of this story. And the fact that really concerns me that they somehow still manage to get on to the force, that's right. concerning. And I know there's only so much you can do to vet someone in an interview and in a background check, right? But like you're at lunch with this guy and he's spouting off racist shit or he's saying something that's really concerning about his ideology, about who he's arrested and he's bragging about all the black people he's arrested. And these guys who are, who are in there are influencing what is normal within right. a police department, right? But that's just a small part of the problem. Right, yeah, I, I just wanted to draw that line just because, like, I mean, when we see, we talk about from the slave patrol to, I mean, there's still white supremacy that, that Absolutely. Is, is going in, it's for sure. So right after, uh, even after the Jim Crow era, we still had 
all the segregation in the United States. And so I'm skipping over a lot of important history here. And so we're still looking at history up until our own parents' lifetime, or depending on how old you are, it might've been when you were a kid, where we were just starting to stop segregation, where we were just starting to integrate our communities. Now, I don't take what I said to mean I think segregation has fully stopped because it obviously has not. There is still segregation. We still see we still see it in our communities and in our schools. You know, our, our black community is not going to the same exact schools as our white communities because we're not living in the same neighborhoods. And we still see that the schools in the white neighborhoods in a lot of jurisdictions, depending on them, they fund schools are usually funded by property taxes, which is really just for the purpose of making sure that the rich white people get to have their kids go to a better school because they don't want to spread the wealth with all the schools in the, in the, in the, in your region. Right. Well, yeah, so, yeah. And uh, definitely. Yeah. That, that's a whole another episode that we need to do about the education system. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm just touching on all these things, right? There's so many factors that go into this. So there's disproportionate education. There's still segregation. There's research that's been done, been done on the effect of segregation and its role in causing poverty. There's the lack of mental health resources for people in poverty, right? You can't just go get a psychiatrist, get a psychologist. If you, you might not even have time for it if you're suffering from poverty, right? And so there's like, there's all this like all these million factors that are going into the effects of what originated as slavery and then transformed into Jim Crow, transformed into segregation, transformed into what is still segregation. But now, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit and then move on, um, how we've directly started to use our criminal justice system to reinforce, you know, segregation and, and just basically attack the black community uh, without right. that. That's no exact exaggeration. But, you know, just to make this point clear, there's just a million factors that are going on that are causing a black communities to still be disproportionately, you know, uh, suffering poverty. Obviously, that's not every black community, but um, there are much higher numbers for black people to, for example, I think the number is that you're twice as likely. No, actually, I'm sorry, I misspoke. It's you're 3.6 times more likely to experience childhood poverty as a black person than a white person. Which is obviously the, I mean, by design, by the system, of course, because like, I mean, they've, they've pushed too many policies to even name here <laughs> right now about right. how how we got to that point. Exactly. So anyway, not having any context for those numbers for some people, unfortunately, is dangerous. But here's the bottom line, man. Like, you know, you hear that black people are living in more poverty than white people. And, you know, for some centrists and conservatives, for some reason, they, they, they don't immediately go to a place of like, oh, that proves that there's systemic racism. Well, there is. And, and all you need is just logic to know why. Like, I've never met a person in my life, black, white, or any other color who didn't want basically the same thing for their life, which is to better their own situation and to better the situation of their family. Right. And like, that is how the human mind works. We look out for ourselves and for our family and, you know, and that, and that's just the reality. And you might be thinking, well, there's drug addicts out there and there's people who aren't trying. And like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of latent biases that are going on in your mind, or just maybe perhaps a lack of understanding of the conditions that cause people to come to a point where you might look at them and say, well, that's just a bad person. But you know, what I've learned, if nothing else through doing criminal defense is everyone has a story that leads them to where they are. And like, just like, you know, I, and I'm not going to get into all this stuff is, you know, all the, all the discussions that people have had about this, but just at a very basic level, like take drugs, for example, you know, drugs is often when people are, are suffering from it, you know, or really bad 
um, drug addiction, you know, a lot of the factors that lead people to be predisposed to having a drug abuse disorder, you know, an actual addiction, um, poverty is one of those factors or having a childhood where they were exposed to the same thing is a factor. You know, there's so many right. things that go into it. So this whole conversation, you know, about like looking at people and saying like they should pull themselves up by their bootstraps and not be poor anymore. Obviously that is a bullshit personal responsibility, political talking point that does nothing but reinforce a conservative narrative that helps them justify the way they don't raise the minimum wage and all sorts of things that capitalists want. You know, there's so much that goes into why that political narrative exists, but it's also, you know, it's a, it's a real world view that a lot of people hold. And so the point is, is like, you do have to do some work. You know, they say that with, um, understanding comes love. You really do have to do some work to understand someone else's situation and not just assume that there's people out there who like, which I think is a preposterous belief that there's just people out there as an entire community would just choose to not better their situation. Obviously all these people, I know it sounds to my progressives like what I'm saying is common sense. I know it's almost offensive that I have to say it, but I promise you that the, the, the right, this is what's going on in the back of their mind is that a lot of what you're, what is actually going on. You can read between the lines with what they're saying is they're making this presumption about entire communities of our, of our nation that are, you know, they kind of get what they deserve, right? Like, well, they're choosing to engage in more crime as it, as if it's like, it's part of black culture to be criminals is what they might be believing, which is like, no. Well, well also just to kind of like debunk that a little too. I mean, police are more prevalent within poor neighborhoods and that's a whole system itself too. If you police the same way you policed in poor neighborhoods as you did in suburban neighborhoods, I promise crime crime rates would look a lot different as well with like what's, what's going on on in the suburban. And I mean, just the idea of like, Hey, you know, they're not going to be able to afford, you know, a lawyer, a bail. We're going to build a new prison here. And what we're going to do is then we're going to rent this out to, to ice or whoever, you know, there's a lot of different aspects that go into like what crime rates are. I think crime rates are kind of, you know, BS when you really look at the stats, especially too. I mean, we've seen how in the eighties and nineties, how many people got locked up for crimes they didn't commit just because they were black. Yeah. And so this is a really, I think that's a really great point. And so the, and the real point we're trying to get at here is there's a ton of factors going on. There's the factors, the socioeconomic factors that result in crime, right? So uh, just to really touch on this really briefly, like, so there was a report done by Lyndon B. Johnson's administration in 1967, February of 1967, called The Challenge of Crime in a Free Society. And he had um, appointed a bunch of people to look into, like, how do we solve the crime problem in the United States? Like, what do we what should we be doing? And, you know, just one of the takeaways is just that one of the major probably the most important thing that can be done about crime is providing more so social services, not police. It's that crime, we don't just like, you know, again, as the saying goes, when when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you just throw money at the police department, then, then it, it would seem like the only solution to crime is to go arrest everybody. And that's what we've been taught by watching Law and & Order and, and, and cops and those other terrible, terrible shows. CSI, I'll throw them under the bus too, right? And so these are all like police state propaganda. But the point is the actual like research that's been done even by our own government shows that they have known forever that the actual solution to these problems is social services. In addition, not only that, but that the police are like spending all their time in these neighborhoods. So right. like it's like it's like reinforcing this problem. And and, and just going back to uh, to to what you just said, because I think that's a that's a really good thing that people should think about, too, is, you know, when we have a lack of social safety nets, 
you know, a lot, obviously, you know, crime is going to go up and petty crime is going to go up. Unfortunately, in this country specifically, we criminalize petty crime to a much higher degree than most yeah. countries. Well, look at three strikes law, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's insane. And, and I mean, countries all around the world, I mean, like, they don't they don't police petty crimes the same way we do. They give out more tickets as opposed to to, to jailing. And I, I get this is more about policing, but I mean they don't use violent, violent tactics like like how you know American police do for essentially everything. And if you're patrolling in the poor neighborhoods and you're patrolling in minority and black communities specifically, just I mean because that was a system that worked for you in the '60s, and we haven't updated the systematic racist ass fucking police system, then of course those are the numbers you're going to get. Right. So, I mean, that's just like a really, really broad level overview. We're leaving out so much. So please don't judge us for not, we have a limited time on this podcast. So, you know, we're just trying to give, you know, just some, I, I think that like my reason when I talked to Decatur about why we should do this little overview before we get into the reforms that are on the table is just because, you know, it, it really can't wait till next week because a lot of you are probably going to end up in debates between then and now that you, you want the information. You kind of want to know some of the key points. Like I just want you guys to know what's going on in the mind of a lot of the neoliberals and conservatives is why they don't really understand what's wrong with tough on crime. They don't really understand why, uh, you know, why the Black Lives Matter community, like what they're protesting. It's not just about the fact that, yes, um, African-American men are killed far more often than white people by police officers. And, and there's a lot that goes into that that we're about to talk about. But like it also has to do with like they're, they're just over policed in general. Right. Like right. they've the, the trust between our black community and our law enforcement is broken down because of exactly all the stuff we're talking about because black people don't look at them as allies because how often have police come and helped them as opposed to come and taken someone in their family away, right? Remember, one in three black American males can expect to be in prison at some point in their life. That number makes me sick to my stomach, right? How does that solve anything? Okay, so now we we got a, a brief history. Obviously, not not everything, but we're gonna get more into that throughout this entire podcast in general because that's what we do. Because we want to be more depressed in our lives. So <laughs> let's kind of talk about what's going on in the now times that's really helped make this situation a thousand times worse. The ten thirty three program is a really important aspect of not only what you've seen in just neighborhood policing throughout the past couple of years, but even what's going on with these protests right now. So the 1033 program is when there is a military surplus, the Pentagon will give all that extra equipment to different departments. Now, mostly it's police stations, but even like the Postal Service, random departments will get equipment that they probably don't wow. need. We're talking tanks, we're talking guns, we're talking ammo, we're talking riot gear, things that they would have used overseas these police are getting for free. So when people are talking about militarization of the police, this is a big part of what they're talking about? Right. Now, Obama had actually canceled this program out. Trump had brought it back. When people want to demilitarize, they're talking about this specifically. Cops are not even paying for this stuff. Pretty fucking problematic. As, you know, why does a fucking police department where most of their calls are just like, get my cat out of a fucking tree, why do they need to to roll up with a tank? I mean, Uh, yeah, it's like, and, and just to think about it for a second, like I think maybe some of our listeners are a little skeptical and they're like, well, I don't really see the problem and police at least having the equipment. But to me, it's like it is so inappropriate for police to have military equipment. We're talking about like people who are there to keep our communities safe. We're not talking about 
people who are there to keep us in line in social control, if that's what we're there trying to do is patrol our behavior kind of more daily basis, then yeah, it's, uh, it's fine to have military equipment, but it's just wildly inappropriate if you're trying to be. And honestly, just on a human level too. I mean, I think it's so easy to kind of look at this, look at things like this all from a political lens and, and numbers, but really think about it. Anytime anyone works a job, when you get new equipment, what's the first thing you try to do? You try to use it in any way you can. And I don't believe that would be any different from the police department. You know, they get these new gadgets and toys. These police officers want to use it. You know what I mean? Like they're going to look for reasons to use it and they're going to look for reasons in the budget to get more of it. And that's how before you know it, I mean, the police turns into looking like the National Guard. Oh, my God. Did you see the uh, the um, onion? And they came out with an article, and this is the headline. It's exactly what you just said. Police didn't spend millions on awesome tank just to let protests stay peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> but that actually is like, it's it's funny, you know, right? Because there's an element of truth to it, which is exactly what Decatur was just saying. I don't want to equate like our police to children because they've clearly demonstrated that they're not. But it's like kind of in a similar way, like you don't hand your kid a knife, right? Because they're going to fucking use it, right? It's like yeah. you don't want to put dangerous equipment in the wrong hand we put i mean i don't even want the military to have certain certain of these items because we've been using it for not great reasons as well but you know that's a whole other episode i I should point out too uh just just real quick for any libertarians listening this used to be an issue that Rand paul used to be so fucking great on before he became the biggest fucking corporate gop sellout of all fucking time i used to get down with both ron paul and Rand paul not in like a I agree with everything they say kind of way, but like, hey, I actually got the vibe that like these are a couple libertarians that have somehow infiltrated our actual government. That's the, the one thing I do like about Rand Paul is he's the only white person I know with a flat top. <laughs> <laughs> well, you haven't been in the military, my friend. This is actually a really weird story, and I actually think it would be really interesting to share. So I'm down. I go to this uh, protest. I get there and then everyone's kind of looking around. Everyone's with their signs and ready to go. And we're looking around and we see like Metro and it's like kind of weird. They've like surrounded the area where the protesters are. And it's like, all right, I'm getting weird vibes about this. And like literally first thing I see as I walk up is actual military, right? Like guys who someone told me it's like military police. And I don't know if there's like a meaningful distinction there. Like it was fucking guys in like Humvees full on decked out camo with like, you know, full on assault rifles and everything like no, not even trying to hide military. And then you just saw like battalions worth of police. I'm looking around like, all right, this is really tense, you know? And of course we're, I we're in Vegas. So, um, uh, an officer was just shot. A protester was shot on the flip side, uh, and killed, uh, to add to that, um, in Vegas, you know, tensions are extremely high. So I got that when I showed up. But what was so weird about it is it actually like there was a lot of controversy about this particular quote unquote protest because uh, it turned out to actually like it was supposedly like in conjunction with the police. It was really weird. And it turned out to be this like Q&A. You know, our message is we're not One of the things I found really interesting is someone asked, like, why did the police have to be militarized? And like, what are you going to do about demilitarization? And one of the, you know, you could tell he was like a ranking 
guy in the police department um, was like, we're not militarized at all. As I'm literally staring at a Humvee and a battalion worth of guys ready to like crack skull. And there was a helicopter circling us the whole time. That's what we're here to try to build trust. And there's no way some of you So we could hardly hear even what they were trying to say. I mean, it, it's unreal. Like, I, I truly believe that guy believed that. No, we're not militarized. You want to see militarized, it'll get militarized. They're totally desensitized. But yeah, I want to believe you, but you might, um, you know, so you might be right. He might be desensitized or they might just like have been engaged in a PR moment and they're just saying whatever they think works at the moment to help. You know, they, they made it very clear that they were doing it to try to regain the trust of the community. What I think would have helped regain the trust of the community is said, hey, we've heard your protests over the last few days and we're announcing some reforms. But that definitely was not said, or at least if it was said, I didn't hear it because the fucking helicopter flying over our head the whole time. <laughs> so eventually people got fed up by the whole thing and uh, we just started chanting and and and, and marching. The, the police are, are armed and they're created more of a military state. Obviously, anything with military type of equipment is going to bring military type tactics. When we try to look at the actual database from police as far as killing civilians, there isn't an actual number, which is real frustrating. Um, James Comey had even talked about that when he was still in that they, he regrets to inform they can't give us an actual number. You know, they rely basically on their numbers from local news, from, you know, lawsuits, things Jeez. like that. So there's been some databases. Washington Post did a, you know, one trying to figure it out. That's probably the most known one, but that was just gun deaths only. So that wouldn't even include oh a George Floyd or an right. Eric Garner. And for example, like Florida, you know, didn't report last year of any murders by any cops. Now we just know based off the facts of the entire country that that's just not possible right like that would never happen mm -hmm. so that that's really tough what we do know is we do know how many through the different databases and news stories alone how many people have died but we don't know if it exceeds that to a huge amount so there are right. groups trying to do that including campaign zero has done a pretty good job trying to map it. But even then, there's so much that we don't know. What, what I found really interesting doing research for this episode, since the founding of America, 21,000 uh, police officers have died. Since the founding of America. Since about 1998, about 20,000 civilian deaths from police have died. That's only since 1998. Yeah. And most of these just like maybe state the obvious, but not every situation, but most of these are happening in the course of trying to make an arrest. Right. And and by the way, yeah, this this doesn't include in the 80s and early 90s how cops would when they would kill someone, they would, you know, try to make it try to make it look like it was gang related or drug related, deem it an overdose or deem it a, a gang shooting when plenty of times cops got caught, especially in the NYPD and the LAPD for that. I just want to also talk about kind of before we just get into the reforms too, just like these concepts that have been going around that we know there's that haven't been working uh, implicit bias training. Although it changes their attitude, maybe they're more aware of it. It doesn't change the outcome. There's just as many forceful 
arrest of black people. And implicit bias training, like something I have, I've had to do multiple times, I believe in school and in at work is like, they'll have someone come and talk to you and show you some really scary stats and information about the way everyone, including minorities, holds views about black people that are in implicit in their brain. You're not thinking about it consciously. You might even think about yourself as very egalitarian, but you still are holding these kind of like base level assumptions that black people are like more dangerous or more, yeah, or associated with violence and crime more for whatever reason, whatever, however that programming in our brain got there is a different conversation. And I still, again, go back to like law and order and cops, I think is a big part of it. Also local media and, and, and how they cover crime. It, it's like world shattering and it makes you feel terrible, but it doesn't actually solve anything. Right. Like when the, when the pedal hits the metal, uh, that sounded like a fucking fast and furious line. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> when the when the metal hits the ball, I don't know. Pick your favorite little, you know, saying. Vin Diesel would be proud of you. <laughs> when Vin <laughs> Diesel hits throttle, uh, it doesn't work. <laughs> so another tactic that we've seen since the Ferguson protest specifically is body cam. You would think, I guess, that this would stop violence or maybe, yeah, deter cops from more forceful arrests, but it hasn't. It, ha it hasn't changed at all, especially because so many of the cops can either turn it off or, you know, if they're not supposed to turn it off, they can leave it somewhere, you know, and there's there's really no reprimanding for it. So it, yes, it hasn't done Yes, anything. that reminds me. In the, For example, in Metro, one of the people in this bullshit Q&A asked the officer, you know, one of these ranking officers about body cams. And he said, all our officers are required to wear body cams. Well, lo and behold, I find out from another source. So they have to wear it. They have to wear it, but it doesn't actually have to be turned on. I, I, I don't know if you've seen that video that was going around online, but um, it, body cams, the way they're positioned, if you think about this from like a cinematography perspective, they're on like this lower level on your chest, which like now is angling up towards the uh, person that they're trying to arrest or whatever it makes it's it just creates a very scary video that creates the illusion that the officer is in more peril than he actually is and so this video that was going around online if i find it i'll link it in the description shows like uh, it shows you a body cam video and it looks very scary, but then it shows you the exact same interaction from someone with like a better camera standing off to the side. And it's apparently like not a threatening situation at all. And so body cam body cameras actually can have the effect of justifying law enforcement's actions um, when they actually were not just. Um, so there's, it's definitely a double-edged sword. It's not the solution to everything definitely. for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, so what are some concrete ideas, Steve, that you think like uh, this kind of gets to the meat of it? Like how do we reform this system? You can have all the training you want on de-escalation, right? And that's great. And they should continue to train on de-escalation. We just need to fucking arrest people less yeah. because the point is, I think it's just fucking common sense. Arrests are inherently dangerous. You are taking physical control of another person's body who definitely does not want you to be doing that. Consent applies to every aspect of life, no matter what it is, what it's about until, yeah. until the cops get involved. Yeah, right. Okay. So there's my suggestion, like right off the cuff. What do you think? It's, it's not on brand for me. A, a big thing we need to do is look at these cop unions. And honestly, I don't know if the best solution is to bust these cop unions or at least put some sort of stipulations on them. Because like what's been happening with these cops that are unionizing is they're putting things in the contract that essentially make it so they don't need to be accountable. For example, like uh, arrest uh, 
Derek Chauvin right away. He gets a, like a paid leave day before they can arrest him. In California, it can go a year without like if if an investigation goes a year long, um, then after that there can be no like a- arrest for for yeah. the cop. Now the problem with that is the cops do the investigation, so obviously they're going to drop it. State right. after state, they have these ridiculous laws where the cops can get get off, and those are all written into these. Um, union contracts and you know the police union is a, a lot of police unions are writing in these laws where it's like it's not about you know the money and the benefits it's about protecting their own so they don't get busted so like these these unions are going to defend these guys and at the end of the day you know these cops are paying dues and if you're a paying dues member you want to be defended they should not be able to write in a union contract that they can be above the law that's fucking ridiculous yes 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 100 absolutely and that's the thing like when you think about any time we see this in so many areas of of society where there's kind of this weird i don't know if it's a power imbalance because that's not really true here but there were this weird things going on with like contracts between private parties that have proven to uh, disadvantage the general public, right? So like when a private company, really anytime a private company is like fucking over consumers or anytime a private company is doing, you know, polluting or whatever, then the government can come in and interfere with this free enterprise, private contracts, whatever, and regulate it to, for the benefit of everybody so that well, they yeah. can, you know, that's like libertarians might not love that, but no, definitely. And listen, you know, you know, like I'm all for, you know, unions, trust me, but like, and- all I'm hearing is a free market capitalist right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, let's let the market of ideas decide. Um, yeah, it's so funny, like uh, talking about free, like this particular contract and like anyone who would have a like, I can't imagine a conservative being like, no, I don't want to regulate this contract because even though normally they don't want contracts to be regulated, we're talking about the two biggest enemies of conservatives. We're talking about um, the government and a union forming a contract together. It just sounds like right. like an evil couple that they don't like and they shouldn't. They're probably thinking well, there shouldn't. You know what? Joke's on them because if they thought about this, uh, all my little uh, conservative thinkers out there, if, <laughs> you know, like the police had to make a union because they weren't getting paid great. And that's thanks to Reagan cutting municipal funding and a bunch of Reaganism fucking tactics that he used on top of that. So right. when you lower the pay, you're lowering the standards of entry to get to appeal to more people. You're not going to pay people correctly then they're going to unionize. So if all you conservatives hate unions so much, why don't you just fucking pay them properly? (laughs) This is one big thing we need to change. Like some of these contracts are bananas, like the kind of extra rights that police officers get when they use force against citizens, you know? And and like, that's like the last time they should get extra rights. That's when we should be extremely dubious of why they use, like we should be very skeptical of any use of force against a private citizen. And if they're part of these police unions, they're able to get, you know, another job somewhere else in a a different county and all these sort of things. It's it's a huge fuck. Yeah. 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 We have to start getting more creative with, you know, the shit that we're we're trying to plan. Like, if we really want the system to change, I think we got to really think outside of the box. And so, like, I think one of those things is, like, we look at sheriffs, and sheriffs are just, like, elected positions. And normally they're filled by just gun-loving, immigrant-hating MAGA fans. When you look at most of the fucking sheriffs, you know, like the Joe Arpaios and shit— a lot of these right. elections, there's normally only like one sheriff running. And in a lot of states, I looked up like you don't even have to have any police experience. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's the best 
you know, way, maybe that's not the position that should be done, but could be worth a shot to get someone in there who's not, a, yeah. you know, a, you know, who agrees with you on that? If, if we're just making an analogy is actually your idea is really analogous to the founding father's concept that the commander in chief of the United States military should be a civilian. And that's, of course, the president. That is something that the founders thought was important. You you know, it's it's not a bad thing, I think, for a civilian to run a, a police agency, just like it's not a bad thing for a civilian to run the military. Yeah. And, and that that's the thing. At the end of the day, all these positions, I mean, you, you can't look at it like I don't know the police well enough. It should be like I know this community well enough to to, to help out. Because, yeah. I mean, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to keep peace and you're trying to keep people safe. That should be. That's like the, you know, this protect and serve thing, right? Like that's. That's the high ideal that is sold to us about what the police are supposed to be. We touched on before that the police have been used for all sorts of terrible stuff and they still are being used for all sorts of bad ends. And, and sometimes they're being used for social control. And even if your average, you know, beat cop doesn't realize that's what they're being used for a lot of the time, you know, that's really what's happening. This brings up a point that I think that we don't on the left discuss enough about, but like, I feel like we've surrendered certain positions in this country to the right completely and just are, yeah. are, are totally okay with it. And I think sheriffs is one of those things where we just give it to the right wing, like all, all these sheriffs, right wingers, you know what I mean? Maybe you'll get a moderate right winger versus uh, you know, a more far right, right winger. But the fact is like, you know, lefties do not run for sheriff and, and just like lefties don't get involved in the military. Like these are scary issues. Cause when, when shit goes down, like who are the people that we call? They're, they're, they're all right wingers that to me, yeah. that doesn't say democracy. And that's not a fault of the right wing for doing that, but like, that's a fault on the left for not chasing some of these positions. Yeah. And you know, I have to, I mean, to be, if we're having this conversation about our electoral politics, I think it's important to be a bit realistic. Some of, one of the biggest problems with coming in and shaking out bad practices in a uh, police department you know, kind of systemic problems in a police department or in any kind of law enforcement agency is that now probably multiple generations of sheriffs or chiefs of police that have hired people with similar ideologies to themselves, Definitely. right? And trained them, right? So now we have basically an entire police department full of predominantly people who think right-wing fashion because that's what hap has happened in most of the country, you know? And so when it, progressive people come along, well, it's just, it's happened really everywhere. You know, you see it with progressive DAs who just like managed to somehow beat the DA, you know, uh, managed to somehow get into the sheriff's position or like, you know, managed to get a department uh, director of the Department of Corrections, right. you know, and try to like improve our prison population situation. All of these guys meet so much resistance from within. Good afternoon, I'm U.S. Attorney Bill McSwain. Thank you for being here this afternoon. I am joined by the special agent in charge of the ATF, Don Robinson. What I witnessed last night was true heroism by the Philadelphia police. But this crisis was precipitated by a stunning disrespect for law enforcement, a disrespect that is so flagrant and so reckless that the suspect immediately opened fire on every single officer within shooting distance. And only by the grace of God did they survive. So my question is, where does such disrespect in this city come from? 
There is a new culture of disrespect for law enforcement in this city that unfortunately is promoted and is championed by District Attorney Larry Krasner. And I am fed up with it. It started with chance at the district attorney's victory party. Chance of F the police and no good cops in a racist system. And now we've endured over a year and a half of the worst kind of slander against law enforcement, with the DA routinely calling police and prosecutors corrupt and racist, and most recently even referring to them as war criminals and comparing them to Nazis. solution to these problems is not policing. You know, police are, it's not that police don't have any role in our society. They just need to have a much smaller role in the role. We should be filling that budget with way more social services to actually, which would actually result in overall much safer communities than we yeah, have uh, now. If we had more I mean, social yeah, workers a, out there. A hundred percent. I mean, this, what we are spending on police, if we put that back into the community, back into resources, back into education, back into healthcare, there's so many things that we could do where it would just improve the lives of people where they would not commit as much crime, which is kind of the concept of, you know, defund the police. No one's saying that when they hear that, it's like, we're going to abolish the police tomorrow and there's not going to, you know what I mean? Like, that's not how this works. This is the idea that we are wasting so much of our resources and funds you know, arresting people for the stupidest things that have nothing to do with violence. If the whole point is to serve and protect and keep the community safe, then let's rewrite the the funding that these police get because they don't do they need to be armored up if they're just going to check on a forged check? Do we need four cops at, at the scene because someone used a fake 20? No. You know, it's ridiculous. Or do we need right. three cops on the scene and one using violent force with his new equipment and, and all this shit because someone was selling loose cigarettes? Like, no, these are ridiculous things. It's a waste of money on top of obviously all the racist aspect of it. It's just, it's just a waste of time, a waste right. of money, a waste of resources. And it could be going back into the community to help everyone flourish. Yeah, guys. So we want to continue this conversation. We're going to get more into uh, the stuff we alluded to at the beginning of the episode um, in our next episode we're going to talk about kind of what you know a lot many of the factors that have led us to where we are now and to these protests that we're at today again no one is about to suggest to you that in one hour we're going to cover all of black history and the and and racism against the black community because that's not even possible you know uh i was i was about to apologize for these episodes not being quite as funny as uh you know some of our earlier episodes but you know what i'm not sorry if you don't find us funny then you know what deal with it yeah Unsubscribe then. Don't do that. We need you. <laughs> don't, don't, don't unsubscribe. I don't even care. Like if you just play it and put it in the background. Yeah, his dog needs food. Well, all right, guys. Uh, I guess we will see you next week for hopefully the world gets better. Go be anti-racist. Yeah, do it now. Get out there. I can see you. You're not being anti-racist <laughs> enough. right now. Turn around. Stop it. <laughs> if you don't know what anti-racist is, Google it. <laughs>